Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We came out for prayer. Uh, very encouraging to see the Fellowship Hall uh, in there, people laying hold of God, uh, praying and fasting. You have your Bible this evening, Exodus chapter 10. I want to repeat a statement I made around uh, Uh, Christmas morning, I believe it was Christmas morning, Uh, you need to recognize anything that testifies of Jesus Christ. Anything that brings glory to His name, the demonic world will try to stain or soil or erase that. This means from uh, temptation to diversion, uh, any season that exalts the Lord, the Sabbath, Sunday, Christmas season, Easter season, Thanksgiving. The demonic world will be hyperactive to try to disfigure and taint and destroy. We've seen that in our nation as they've removed, you know, tried to remove, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, and the list goes on and on. We preached about that. This is true, I've noticed, over the years during seasons, like revivals, people will, uh, sickness and various things, um, a time of spiritual enlargement. God wants to take you to another level. God's moving in your life. Be ready at that moment. The demonic world will try to intercept that with a hyperactivity. Times of prayer and fasting. And so you can mark it down anytime God's wanting to promote you or you're at that season where your fingertips are touching another dimension. This is true spiritually, true in your marriage, true in life. The demonic world at that moment will begin to assault you. And one of the common strategies is depression. It's interesting to me, at Christmas season, two of the most famous Christmas stories are centered around two miserable people, Scrooge and the Grinch. And so I want to minister this evening for a few moments, depression, the darkness you can feel from Exodus chapter 10, I want to read a couple of verses, beginning with verse number 21. Uh, this is one of the plagues. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Listen to this statement. Darkness which may even be felt. Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt these days, three days rather, 
They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel, they had light in their dwellings. Father, we come tonight by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, you would equip your people to be all you've called them to be. God, I pray new converts, old converts, God, that we might have spiritual eyes to discern and see, that we would walk in victory, God, that we would be overcomers. God, I pray tonight, lift up this people, God. Give them dominion in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to examine first with you the darkness of depression. And there's no point denying tonight this is a human condition. How many here at some time or other you've been depressed? Let me see your hand. Okay, rest my case. This is very real in people's lives. I give you a few quotes. It's the number one mental health problem in America. It's linked to 16,000 suicides each year. 15% of the U.S. population has experienced clinical depression. One man said depression is the common cold of the mental health problems. And another interesting quote is the average age of the depressed person is getting younger and younger. Psychologists, uh, they, they define depression a psychotic or neurotic condition characterized by the inability to concentrate, insomnia, feelings of extreme sadness, dejection and hopelessness, a reduction in activity or force, a reduction in psychological vigor or activity. Dr. John Stott, he said, the Christian's chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. What we're talking about tonight is something that's very real if you've ever experienced this. This is more than just imagination. But in our text is an interesting statement. It says in verse 21, the darkness which can be felt. Now, to understand the setting here, God is bringing judgment upon Egypt. Pharaoh, he's unwilling to free the Jewish people. Every time he would resist Moses, um, there'd be another plague um, come down the pipe, so to speak. And so we can talk about these plagues, water into blood, frogs, lice. It goes on and on, disease, cattle, and etc. Then in our text, the ninth plague, it says that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. In other words, this is more than a weather condition. In the Hebrew, it describes a very real, one commentator said, spiritual presence that caused great disruption to the entire nation. It means misery, disorder, unsettled, a, a scramble, an agitation to whereby they lost their way. In other words, here's a spiritual force 
that settled upon this nation that was more than just some clouds or climate, but it was a darkness they could feel, and it totally scrambled their existence. That's depression. It says the darkness I can feel. The thought here is this darkness was not just one-dimensional, but it infiltrated the entire personality. It was more than physical. It was spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and they lost their way. They could not see clearly. See, one of the things about depression is things no longer make sense when you're depressed. You're groping for answers and solutions. The reference points of life are now uh, clouded out or uh, they've disappeared from the landscape of your life. It's like driving in heavy fog. Over the years at various times, um, one time in California, a few times in the Midwest, various places, um, this intense, incredible fog... And the problem in fog is you begin to run over things because you cannot see. This is true of depression. When depression settles upon an individual, they cannot see life clearly. The reference points, now they're clouded or they've disappeared. And you overreact, you begin to crash into people verbally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, You begin to break things up. You begin to say things. You're upset because that's the nature of depression. It's a darkness that isolates. In our text, verse 23, they did not see one another. This darkness prevented them from seeing others. It's deeply personal. It's a sense of loneliness. This is a common part of depressed people. They withdraw into their own world. They're no longer able to connect with other people. They're unable to maintain relationships. I want to read um, a testimony. Uh, One of the ladies in the church, Alicia Washington, um, I want to read part of her testimony. And uh, it's very, very powerful. Uh, I won't read it all to you. She's in a terrible accident. She said, I suffered from a bad head injury. Part of this is what actually stirred this sermon. She gave this to me uh, the other uh, uh, night, uh, the other day, and uh, asked me to read it. She's got some photographs, quite a bit here, but I want to read it. I suffered from a bad head injury. I had to have 187 stitches in my forehead and plastic surgery to make me look as normal as possible. I had so many tests and electric shock therapy treatments for pain. I was an outpatient for about nine years. I also took medication because I suffered from these terrible episodes of migraine headaches, temper tantrums, blindness, memory loss, seizures that I could not control and also severe severe depression. I could not be left alone, not even to use the bathroom, and drank, and I took meds for about three years. I only went out to go to the doctor. I didn't remember my children. I had two at this time. 
My family was only there for the money they thought I was going to receive. There's a number of newspaper articles here linked with this. This was in Chicago. So from this, my mental state started to spiral downhill fast as the drinking and drugs plus the medication continued. I went from one bad, abusive relationship after another. And during this time also, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather passed away, and I tried to commit suicide three times. So I'm going to stop there. I, that's not the end of it. I'll give you the good part at the end. But that's pretty, that's pretty potent. I mean, you know, you think you've got problems, and you see this crash. Uh, James Schultz looked at it the other day. He says, my Lord, did anybody live? I said, yes, they did. They're in our church. But everything she said also is supported by this scripture. This darkness prevents you from seeing others. This depression, you begin to withdraw. You begin to isolate. You lose the reference points of life. And also it says in this, this is a darkness that steals your motivation Verse 23, they did not rise from their place for three days. And again she said, I lost motivation. I lost the will to pursue life. I would not leave the house except to go to the doctor. That's exactly what this scripture says. You're no longer stirred or moved about life. It's a spiritual coma. Now you're locked into a place of no response. One of the things about depressed people, they sleep a lot because they're no longer willing to contend with life. This is a demonic strategy to destroy your will to go on that you will lose faith, you'll no longer venture for God, you'll lose passion and zeal to serve God. One of the major assaults upon people's lives linked to this is they no longer see the possibilities of God. In this case, it was horrible. Her best friend who was pregnant died in the accident. Um, Actually, a a Chicago fire truck um, uh, had got out of control and hit them head on and etc. But in this story um, and in this text... um, you see here this strategy. I see people when, when disappointments of life happen, uh, uh, when a tragedy happens of life, uh, when something, unco- I mean, you know, this is a horrible thing to happen to anyone, but it can be from that extreme uh, uh, to the smallest thing, but you need to understand the purpose and the objective of this uh, is that you no longer believe God. And at that point, you no longer believe God for your salvation. You no longer believe God where you need miracles, whether it's your marriage, whether it's financially, whether you're dealing with temptation, whatever it might be. And it's very easy at that point to become critical. You'll become critical of your wife. You'll become critical of your husband, your best friend, the church, the living God. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam, back with you again. 
Just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. I just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, we need some five-star reviews. And also, uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast, it would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also, uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, we'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the sermon. But you see, also in this text, most of these people, unless it's a severe case, she's talking about nine years, but most people, this depression, it comes and it goes. In our text, it said it came for three days and left. It was seasonal. If you can lock that into your spirit, most depression is seasonal. In other words, what that means, if you can keep yourself um, uh, from overreacting um, and making bad decisions during this season. See, the the difficulty is, is depression comes um, and it's triggered by something and then you make bad decisions and so at the end of it, you're not just dealing with the depression Now you're dealing with the bad decisions you made while this season was upon you and it's complicated and multiplied the original problem. What's the cause of depression? And I'm not a doctor tonight or a psychiatrist. And and, and my purpose is to approach this problem from a spiritual and biblical perspective. And you know, I've pastored, I know there's a lot of reasons for depression. And, you know, this one, part of it was a head injury. Her best friend died. But in our text, depression was a judgment. Now, I'm not trying to, you, you say, oh, God, Pastor, I was depressed when I come in. Now you're making me worse. No. Okay, just hold on. Hold on. Okay. The plagues of Egypt were not random. Are you listening to me? Each plague God brought against Egypt judged an object of their worship. The Nile River. Frogs, lice, all of these things had to do lice in the earth. All of these were objects of worship. This plague is the ninth. It's the one right before the plague of death that sweeps the land. And I want you to think about this. Pharaoh has resisted God and resisted God and resisted God. His self-will. He's refused over and over to yield to God. Now comes darkness that filters through his entire personality. 
Depression was a judgment upon the self-willed or the self-life man or woman. I want to tell you there's a link between self-life and depression. Much depression is caused by the frustration of our will. People get depressed um, because things did not go as they planned. Say amen. Financial problems, uh, you know, bills are unpaid. Um, uh, you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas. You know, the list goes on and on. You got marriage problems, um, boyfriend, girlfriend problems. Uh, it, you, you know, but much of depression is linked um, when our self-will is resisted. King Saul is a picture of this. He's a self-willed man. And the Bible says an evil spirit came and tormented him. And when this spirit would come upon him, the entire house of Saul would surround and they're trying to appease him. You remember the story. David would be brought in to play the harp. To ease this tormented spirit, they would cater to him, trying to bring some kind of relief. I want to tell you, many times depressed people consume those around them. But you see, depression is linked to the self-life. I want to make a couple of statements. This is the first time in history that the boomers suffer depression more than the elderly. Now think of that. This is the first generation recorded where the youth suffer more from depression than the elderly. There's a new term I read recently, sudden wealth syndrome. Some of you would like to have that problem. This is where you you hit the lottery or you got an inheritance um, And what it is, it's a term that people who now have everything they ever wanted, but they're horribly depressed. You ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? How many ever read that book? A few of you? It could be called uh, Depression in Print. Eight times he says, vanity, 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 all is vanity. Here's a man that had it all. He indulged himself, and yet he said, vexation of spirit. Have you ever known someone who had no responsibilities? They did whatever they want. Did you ever envy somebody like that? I had a friend when I was a, a, a boy, his name, first name was Leon, and his dad owned a store, had a huge candy count. Now, you got to, you know, you got to think with me. This was back in the early 50s. And, uh, and Leon, uh, he was my, my best friend, me, him, and another kid at, the, in this, at this time. And he, he would steal everything out of his dad's store, man. He, his pockets would be filled with candy bars. He carried around ten and twenty dollar bills. This went on for about six or eight months till he got busted. Now, now I'm t- this is when you could uh, when candy bars were five cents, popcorn was ten. You had fifty cents. You could go to the movie, uh, get a coke, popcorn, and a candy bar. He's carrying around ten and twenty dollar bills. He was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I still see him every once in a while. Now, you know, I have to admit there was something in me, man. I just admired this guy. I mean, his pockets are filled with Milky Ways and Snickers and Butterfingers, man. And he rolls out the dough, man. We all lined up. Let me tell you about his life. He got married. Actually, he called me. He was so happy. He's getting married. He's probably close to 30 time he got married. You know how long his marriage lasts? <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> I, two weeks. I saw him later. I didn't see him for a while. And I didn't know, you know, I, I, and I, I said, hey, Leon, I said, man, I said, how's your marriage? He said, we ain't married anymore. <laughs> I couldn't, I said, how long were you married? <laughs> I mean, we go way back. We go back to kids, you know. He said, two weeks. You know where he lives, last time I heard? He lives in a, a, uh, It's not a stall. It's it's uh, it's it's a room associated uh, with racehorses. My my cousin Mike has a lot of racehorses, and here's Leon. He's it's next to the tack room. If you how many of you know what a tack room is? If you it's next to the tack. This is where all the harness and they keep all the stuff for racehorses and riding horses and stuff. And that's where he lives. Now, he's my age. You know what he's been his whole life? He's been a professional student at Southern Illinois University. And he's depressed. To have everything you want with the absence of responsibility makes you a candidate for depression. But there's one other I want to touch on. I'm going to close quickly on my last point. I want to tell you there's a demonic inspired depression that attacks the people of God. Listen to me carefully. I want to give you a story out of Genesis 15. Here's Abraham. He's the father of our faith. Somewhere you will find yourself right here with Abraham. He is the father of our faith. God has given him a promise of an inheritance. Posterity, a future, an inheritance. And he says, how shall I know? And God says, I want you to make sacrifice. You know the story. He took the, slew the animals, divided them. And as he made this sacrifice to God, the vultures came down and he had to fight them off. You will too. You'll have to fight off of your sacrifices and your commitments to God. You'll have to fight off the demonic vultures. Any commitment you make to God will be challenged by hell if it has any weight to it. Any that You get saved, um, it, Jesus saves you, you get up and say, I'm going to live for God, um, and you begin to uh, uh, qualify that living for God. I want to tell you, the demonic vultures of hell will begin to attack you 
and try to rob. Any sacrifice. You come to an altar and God, you say, I'm going to lay this on the altar. I'm going to walk away from that. Or I'm going to commit this to God. You need to understand the demonic world puts out its claws and you will have to fight it off. But it doesn't end there. These words are spoken. It says in Genesis 15 verse 12. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold a horror and great darkness fell upon him. Several commentators they they quote on this kind of an unusual statement. um, But they link it to a mental and an emotional assault. The word horror this 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 almost like a a, a terrible uh, frightening experience. Um, there was darkness, um, and he had to sustain himself and hold on and survive that. It was demonic inspired. Listen, listen. If you're going to do anything for God, serve God, make any impact for God, have ministry for God. If you're going to pursue God with any victory somewhere, you will find yourself under that demonic assault. And you're going to have to weather it. In our text, and I close, there's a wonderful promise. If you're saved and born again here tonight, God says you're different. In our text, there's a supernatural dimension in the midst of this gloom. Look at verse 23 again. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. God's people had illumination. I want to tell you there's a light, there's a joy, there's a peace that comes by knowing God Jesus said, Behold, peace I give you that the world cannot comprehend. All of hell could be collapsing. And yet God says right in the midst of this, this horrendous gloom that covered from landscape, from horizon to horizon, here they were, the children of God had light in their dwellings. That's your promise this evening. And the reason is they had a different source of power. A number of years ago, we were in um, Arusha, Tanzania with the Grabowska family. They lived outside just a little ways up on a hill there. And in Africa, if you know anything about Africa, when we were in um, uh, Lagos, Nigeria, we had blackouts every day. They'd have uh, every night. One night I'm preaching, you know, and... And so, but I can remember being at Scott and Carrie's house there. We were having dinner one evening. We're up on the hill. And uh, the, the power out. Sometimes the entire nations go out. And you could walk outside. And there was hardly, very few flickers. But it, it, there's, there's something strange about seeing a, a massive city. And there's no lights at night. There's no lights. It's dark. Yeah, I mean, the heavens are bright. But it is dark. But at Scott and Carrie's house, there was light. You know why? A different source. Actually had a generator. I want to tell you, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You don't have to live in depression. You don't have to live in discouragement. There may be seasons of this come somewhere along the way. 
But I want to tell you, if God would illuminate these families and their dwellings in Egypt, He'll do it for you tonight. You do not have to live under this assault. Say, so how, how do I get free? When you have to recognize it's a problem. Sometimes you have to repent and you have to renounce. Psalms 42.8, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and in the night His song shall be with me. Let me read the rest of our sister's testimony. She fast forwards to Chandler, Arizona, Door Christian Center. So here I am almost a year later. She's here tonight, by the way, with her family. Clean, sober, happy, no meds, and building a strong relationship with God. I'm not saying it was all overnight or easy. I had some bumps and bruises along the way. But I will continue to fight this fight. I'm not near where I want to be. But I'm not near what I used to be. All I know is that I'm finally on the right path. So continue to pray for me, my family, Alicia Washington. Would you give God praise this evening? That's what God can do. That's what God can do with uh, how many stitches was it? 187 stitches. In my forehead. That's what God can do with electric shock therapy. Medication. Migraine head, headaches. Temper tantrums. Blindness. Memory loss. Seizures. That I could not control. And also. Severe. Depression. Jesus can set you free tonight. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Oh, God, we thank you tonight for your wonderful grace. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.